Thank you, Brian, for the word preached. Truly um, encouraging and challenging as well. Well, um, as Brian said, the leadership felt it wise to perhaps spend a few minutes um, just dealing with this issue around the coronavirus as undoubtedly everybody seated here would be assailed, assaulted with news, almost news ad nauseum about this new virus. I think it's very important that as Christians we come to grips with exactly what our response ought to be, what as Christians our response should and ought to be to what this virus brings. It's my desire in the few minutes that I have to be able to deal with um, just a brief introduction to the virus, what it is, without giving you descriptions of what it looks like microscopically. If you want to know that, go and search it on the internet. Um, what a pandemic means, because it's been declared a global pandemic. What are the signs and symptoms of this disease? What are the precautions that we ought to take as believers, as human beings, as members of a body gathered together? And then I do want to end it off with an exhortation from the church leadership as to how we should approach it, albeit for a season. But before I do that, I do want to take us back and remind us from the scriptures just some basic truths about God himself. We speak, when we speak about the attributes of God, we speak in one sense about the sovereignty of God. Brian covered that last week when, and I was very appreciative of him taking time to deal with this last week. So I won't go into detail about it, but I am going to share with you some scriptures that will have relevance to what I'm going to say. So we speak about the sovereignty of God. And if I were to ask the question, what does that mean, the sovereignty of God? So it's an, I like this definition. It's an adjective that's used to describe something that is powerful, authoritative, to the extent that it is able to override any other and not be overridden. That's sovereignty. And the fact of the matter is when we read the scriptures, the scriptures are replete with the fact that God is sovereign over his creation and everything that is in his creation. God's sovereignty is governed by God's wisdom. Now, think about that. In his sovereignty, everything that he does Everything that he causes, everything that he permits is governed by God's wisdom. Now, God's wisdom is absolutely perfect. In fact, our wisdom, Paul likens to God's wisdom as foolishness. God's wisdom is further governed by his mercy, his justice, and his righteousness. In other words, whatever God decrees, is governed by those other facets of his character. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 46. He says, for I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, 
declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Psalm 115 and verse 3, the psalmist writes, but God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Ephesians 1 and verse 11, and I would say go and read the, first, the in, entire introduction to Ephesians, but in this one it says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who does what? Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In other words, again, God to state it, works all things according to the counsel of his, and if I can add there, his perfect will. Now, why do I highlight this? I highlight this to say to us that we should not, as we have been told, we should not be panicked about this virus. For we are told we have not been given a spirit of fear. You've heard that already today. So there is no need to panic. We can take a lot of comfort and security, secure in the knowledge of God's sovereignty. Also, another thing, we need to also be on guard with this, that we do not take a lazy attitude towards it. And I will share with you some scriptures that will guide us around there. At the same time, we must also be careful that we do not self-righteously sit smugly and say, this is God's judgment on China or on the USA or on Europe. Why would I say that? Remember the words of the Lord in Luke 13? What was the context there? The context was calling on people to repent. And when they asked the Lord, what about those people that Caesar had, I think it was Caesar, had killed? And the Lord said, remember the tower of Siloam when the tower fell on those believers. Do you think that they were worse sinners than you? I say, therefore, repent. That was the call. Think back to December 26, 2004, the tsunami that happened. 230,000 people died in that tsunami. There were entire churches, believers, who were swept away and died. Do not think and do not self-righteously saying that this is God's judgment on them. Be aware that God is sovereign. But also I want to temper that with this. And I want to read from Romans. And it's chapter... Chapter 14 where he talks about love, for that has bearing on the exhortation that we shall be giving as well. So in Romans 14, when Paul is talking about the law of love, and we come to verse 19, and he says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. And the Lord tells us also clearly that we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
And by the way, that's not a call to love ourselves. Don't say, see, God says we must love ourselves. No, no, no. It's to love your neighbor because God knows we selfishly love ourselves. And the call is to love ourselves as our neighbor. So, what has this all got to do with COVID-19? I'll tell you. So, the coronavirus is a virus. Why do I highlight the fact that it's a virus? Viruses are not killed by antibiotics. So, it's absolutely pointless to go to your poor GP and say, give me an antibiotic. It doesn't do anything against an antibiotic. It's a virus. What's a pandemic? A pandemic simply means that it has spread to every descriptive part or every continent in the world. That's what it's mean. What is the status of the virus here today? What are the signs and symptoms? So the commonest signs and symptoms of this virus is a fever. So that means your temperature goes above the normal. It's a, described as a cough. There sometimes is associated shortness of breath, tiredness as well that accompanies this. Now, let me add a rider. This does not mean that every single sniffle you get is COVID-19. Absolutely not. There are things, there are what is called um, guidelines that we, that we observe in the medical fraternity. Case definitions, to use the correct terminology. Now, these case definitions for suspicions of COVID-19 are evolving as the time goes on. But currently, it states, those who are at risk are those who have either traveled to areas that are hotspots or have come into contact with somebody who has been diagnosed with COVID-19. Now, what does that imply? It implies if Cobus has the sniffles and I'm in contact with him, it doesn't mean I'm necessarily at risk for COVID-19 because as far as I know, COVID hasn't been to Italy or, 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 or Wuhan, um, which, by the way, has been decreasing. So that's the case definition. But like I said, it's evolving. And to date, the 38 diagnosed cases we have have all been people who have traveled overseas and come back. There hasn't been a reported case of the virus spreading from one of the positive people to somebody else in South Africa. So it's not a case of panic at this stage or actually ever. Now, does it mean that the case definition cannot change? It can certainly change as time goes on. How is it spread? And this bears relevance to the discussion later in terms of um, what can we do. How does it spread? It spreads from droplets. Okay? It spreads from bodily fluids. So if we cough or if we sneeze, it travels in the droplets for a certain distance because the droplets are heavy and they drop in the air onto the ground and somebody else who inhales it or comes in contact with it with their fingers and then puts it on their face, on their mouth, on their eyes, on their nose, it can be absorbed and that's how you get it. 
So, what are the implications of this? Currently, we have some ideas on how to treat, nothing specific yet on how to treat. Now, who are, who are the people at risk in terms of morbidity and mortality from this illness? People at risk currently are the elderly, those who are above 70 is currently what is said. So if you are elderly, you are at risk even without any pre-existing illnesses. Then also, those who have pre-existing illnesses, diabetes, hypertension, especially those with chronic obstructive airway disease, asthma, are definitely at a higher risk from this illness. We suspect TB, HIV, anything that causes immune suppression, people are at risk as well. So we need to exercise care. Now, where does that lead me and what do we need to do? As a congregation, and there is talk, and the concept is called social distancing. Now, what does that imply? It implies that we take care in a context like this, in a gathering like this, that we exercise precautions not to spread it to somebody else. It's not so much even receiving it from somebody else, but not to spread it from somebody else. Now, before we even get to the social distancing, what are some of the standard precautions that you can and ought to be taking anyway to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and other diseases, to be quite honest? Wash your hands. Remember what I said about touching your face. And just observe each other in the fellowship hall afterwards before you go home. And see how often, without even realizing, you put your hands to your face, either to your mouth or to your nose or to your eyes. It happens subconsciously without thinking of it. So think about it. Wash your hands. What does washing your hands imply? Opening the tap, putting your hand under there, just rubbing it like this? No, not at all. You wash your hands with soap. You wet your hands front and back. Put soap on, scrub for 20 seconds. That's what has been shown in the laboratories to kill this. So a simple way, I have no idea why they chose that. Sing happy birthday twice as you wash your hands. And that's about 20 seconds, I guess, depending on how quick or how well you sing. So, when do you wash your hands? Wash your hands every time you come out of the bathroom, without a doubt. Before you eat, after blowing your nose, wash your hands. If you take your hanky, preferably don't use a hanky, take your hanky and wash your hands and you put your hanky somewhere, you wash your hands. And believe me when I say you need to be conscious. I know of a rep who went to see a doctor working in a casualty. The doctor sneezed into her hand and put out her hand to shake the rep's hands. This was a medical professional. So it happens without thinking. Be conscious. Wash your hands. Whenever you think your hands are dirty, after you shake hands with people, wash your hands. If you cough, Keep at least a two-meter distance from somebody else. Care about them. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is not about loving yourself. It's about caring for your neighbor. 
keep a distance of two meters. Comes to the whole concept of wearing masks. Is it necessary to wear masks? You walk around and see people in masks. Masks have not shown to help with the transmission or with the reception per se. However, I would advise you, if you are sneezing or coughing, wear a mask so that you don't contribute to the spread of the disease. Okay? Do not share items with other people. The virus can survive on inanimate objects for up to nine hours, they say. So you are busy on your tablet or your mobile device. You share it with somebody and they get busy with it and they touch their mouth. It spreads. So be aware that there are so many ways. Be, I guess the message is be conscious, but do not panic. When you use the water closet or the loo, as some would call it, Keep the lid down when you flush. Those fluids, as you flush, tend to sometimes spray out. The virus can be inside there. So close the lid before you flush. Keep your immediate environment very clean as well. Now, what do you do if you suspect that perhaps you have COVID-19? What do you do? So you've come in contact with somebody who has been tested positive and you begin to display symptoms. What do you do? Don't rush to your family physician's rooms and sit in a waiting room with six other people waiting there. No, no, no. Because all you're going to do is kindly share it with other people there. And possibly with the poor bloke sitting behind the desk with his stethoscope on as well. So don't do that. There is a hotline that the NICD has, which you ought to call from the confines of your home. Call them. They are very geared, very helpful. And if I can just say this, we very often are guilty of complaining about our government, what they do and what they don't do. I must be honest, the South African Health Department is among the best in the world in the way in which they are responding to and dealing with COVID-19. From contact tracing of people who have come to the hospital to test in a taxi, have been able to identify every single occupant of that taxi. So be assured that the health department is actually doing a sterling job. So you can confidently phone the NICD hotline. I think perhaps we can put it on the website maybe for the, for the use of people. Um, otherwise it's, 080-002-9. Um, I'm sure some of you can remember that offhead already. So, if at all you feel you don't want to go there, call the doctor's rooms beforehand. Let them know so that when you get there, they can see you immediately with care in order that nobody else may get it. Now, before you say that this is, like I said, and that should be comforting, we, we, we don't want to panic. The reality is it's in the community or there are risks in the community. So we know of a church where a couple has had to and voluntarily decided to stay at home for this reason. For those of you who are news junkies who spend time on News24, 
you would have seen that a company in Sandton has closed down, has asked everybody to go home because the boss's partner who traveled overseas and came back tested positive. The boss himself has not tested positive, but they have asked everybody to go home. Now, in this scenario, the risk is particularly low. Is there a risk? Perhaps a small risk. But this couple has lovingly elected, with the knowledge of their elders in the church, have lovingly elected to stay at home until the tests for the boss has come. I think that's a very loving response. I don't think it's a panicked response. And I think it's a response that's also been guided by direction from the leadership. So, this brings me to the last part. What's our response as we gather? I spoke about social distancing. I'll let you know, and I've done quite a lot of trying to find out or searching about this. There are churches that we know in the United States, vast numbers of them, solid churches, that have elected not to meet on the Sabbath because it's a public gathering of a lot of people and the risks are high. I personally do not believe that in South Africa we are there yet. Are we going to get there? I don't know. I hope not. But if we can start to exercise caution from now, I believe we will not get there. So what does this look like and what does it imply? I must say that I am, and I think probably all of us, are particularly encouraged with the loving affection that the saints display to one another in this body and many other bodies. It's, it's a tremendous display, I think, of a love that stems from a love for God and an understanding that these are God's people. We are a very huggy, touchy-feely church. Okay? And again, I say I do appreciate that. I think people thrive. I know I thrive on affection. Here, here, Shiva. Um, so I know I, I depend on it particularly. But I do believe, and this is in conjunction with the leadership, that for a season, we probably should refrain from that. Again, we do this as an act of love to our neighbor. Although it may come across, it could come across as unloving, I must say it's very difficult. Somebody reaches out his hand to shake my hands, it's so difficult for me to put my hand behind my back. However, if we are all on the same page and we realize that for a season, it's being done as an act of sacrificial love, that I think we can do so. That involves the hugging, that involves the handshakes, and it involves even now, as we are going to close with our benediction, it involves even the holding hands during the benediction. This is not an overreaction. It is just an exercise in caution that we as Christians can also, because we have a responsibility not just to one another, but to the community in which we live as well. Now, this is not an excuse for husbands not to display affection to their wives. It's just a call for the public gathering as we gather together. And if I can also exhort, as you all live in the community, educate other people, 
take the time to share this with other people. Statistically, research has shown that where this has been practiced, the spread of this has been curbed and has been limited. There are other implications that you need to think about. We have our gathering this evening with a multitude of other people from other churches, including everyone who is seated here today, this evening. Joining together in fellowship, what do we do when we see those people? Are we going to be perceived as unfriendly or unloving when they come? So I think you need to be guided by your spirit, by your conscience. I think you need to exercise care. I think we also leave it in the sovereign hand of God. Our intention is to, after the service, also share with people this kind of information. You may have to shake hands this evening and do that at that time. What other implications are there? Now, you may have questions in your mind. So what about the UK and the approach that, um, what's his name? Johnson is taking. He is taking a different approach to the rest of the world, talking about the fact that they should try and inculcate herd immunity. In other words, don't practice so much social gathering. Allow people to naturally develop immunity like with the influenza virus and so on and so forth. I think his medical advices are totally misguided. That's not something that we should encourage or foster. That goes totally against any sort of wise counsel, not just in my opinion, but even in the opinion of the medical professionals in the United Kingdom as well. What does it mean with regards to travel? International travel. The exhortation and the call is that international travel should only be under essential circumstances. Now, this has personal ramifications to Shiba and I. We are supposed to travel in three weeks' time to visit our granddaughter and our children. But, um, <laughs> it's, but it's causing us to really have to think. Even though where we are going is not a hotspot, it's causing us to prayerfully consider whether this ought to happen or not. So what's the take-home? A, do not panic. Don't go and stock up your larder with goods that people are doing and empty the shelves in the shops for fear of some apocalypse. Please don't. Don't go and empty the shelves. Don't panic and be fearful. We have not been given a spirit of fear. And to be quite honest, and this is not taking a blasé attitude, What's the worst thing that can happen to a believer? It's the best thing. If we die on this earth, it's the best thing that can happen. We are transported to be with Christ immediately. But that is not a call for us to be blasé, lazy about it. It's a call for us to love our neighbor. You may not be at risk. You may be young. You may be healthy. So you can say, well, if I get it, I'll be fine. Absolutely, you will be fine. But what about the anti-Sandys of this world who are more mature than us? What happens to them if they get it? It's dangerous for them. So as a result of that, let us lovingly be careful. Let us lovingly care for one another to the best of our abilities. Think if you have, in light of time, any questions perhaps that you want to ask, maybe leave it till we have our tea in the fellowship hall, if you do have 
um, questions. But I trust that's been helpful. Let's just pray before we sing our benediction. Feel the freedom to raise your hands as you praise God on your own um, without holding hands. Father, we thank you that you are our sovereign Lord. We thank you that you are a loving God. As we heard this morning, Father, thank you so much that we can look to the second Adam. And because of the second Adam, we need have no fear, either this side of eternity or the other side of eternity. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for giving us wisdom as you have called that we should be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves, that you would enable us to responsibly deal with this that you have placed in our path as believers, not as unbelievers. I pray that you would bless our gathering this evening as a visiting pastor brings the word to us, as we would sit and worship together as like-minded believers. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We bless your name for Jesus' sake. Amen.